even in our doubt and unbelief, it's not the strength of our faith that saves, but it's the strength of the Savior. Our doubts don't derail God's plan. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. There are questions, and then there are questions. What are we having for lunch today? It's a question, maybe leftover turkey, perhaps. What is the meaning of life? Another question. Different types of questions. And a question for you this first Sunday in Advent Advent means waiting. It means longing. It means hoping. A question for you. Have you ever wondered why God answers some prayers and not others? Why some people, maybe you, Pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray about someone or something. And then wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Those prayers don't seem to be answered. In Luke chapter 1, I would invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles. It's on page 1587 in your pew Bible. There's... A, a promise given in this passage. There's prayers offered about this promise. But then there's this pause. Then there's this waiting. Let me give you some background as you turn there. It's been 400 years since God has spoken to his people. Malachi's prophecy closed the Old Testament, and there's been a huge holy silence. Things aren't good for Israelites, God's people. The stock market has tanked. Herod is a ruthless ruler who does such nice things as execute his own wife and child because they were a threat to him, a perceived threat. Not much prospects for things getting better for the Israelites. Economically, politically, socially, God's people are having a rough go of it. Things aren't good. And they're waiting for something to happen. Something good to happen. Maybe asking the same questions that some of you are asking this morning. Where is God? Has God forgotten? Has God given up on me? Does God know what I'm going through? And if God knows what I'm going through, does God even care? The wooden sign in my sister-in-law's home in Charlotte as we were finishing up our Thanksgiving yesterday um, started off with maybe a familiar words or prayer that you learned as little children. It started off, God is great. God is good. 
And some of us, as we look over the, over the landscape of our lives, really doubt that. And you're honestly asking, is God great? Is God good? As we look at the beginning of Luke, we'll look at Mary's response to this very basic question of God's goodness and God's greatness. Pray with me. Lord, as we turn to your word, we acknowledge that your word is truth and that we need your word to challenge us and to encourage us and to give us grace. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would, this very Lord's Day, this first Sunday in Advent, that, that we would be taught by your word. May your written word point to the living word, Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers came and were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. And he goes on in verse 14 to describe John's characteristics and attributes. Drop down to verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Drop down to verse 26. Another birth story told. The same angel. Listen to how this unfolds. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with a child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, 
Listen to her response in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's where we're going this morning. We're going to do just one simple thing. We're going to look at the responses of Zechariah and Mary to Gabriel. That's what we're going to do. And then finish our time with how it makes a difference and how we live today. So first, Zechariah's response. Gabriel says to Zechariah, Zechariah, go register at Target. You're going to have a son. Name him John. He's to prepare a way for the Lord. He has a special purpose. That's the announcement. How does Zechariah respond to this good news? What does it say? What does the Bible say in Luke 1 verse 18? What, what is his response in the form of a question? How can I be sure of this? There are questions, and then there are questions. How can I be sure? I'm old. And my wife, he softens it a bit. He gets politically correct. She's well advanced in years. She's old as dirt too, Gabriel. This ain't happening. Does it, his response, doesn't it seem reasonable? I mean, we just looked earlier in Luke 1 how in verse 7 that Luke says, hey, they're childless. She's not able to conceive. They're both old. They're well advanced in years. And it's not because they had sinned. It's not because God was punishing them for something that they had done wrong, which was thought of back then, that barrenness was God's punishment. That's not the case. It says they were righteous. They were blameless. It doesn't mean they were sinless, but that's not it. So doesn't it seem reasonable for Zechariah to hey, how can I be sure? So why does... Gabriel kind of do a, a verbal body slam on Zechariah with his response. Does it Gabriel's response, if we're honest, seem a little harsh? It's not a kind, gentle response, is it? Here's a tone of Gabriel's question. On what basis will I know this? 
And we lose something in our English translation, but it could probably be better translated this response to Gabriel. According to what, Gabriel? He's asking for proof that this will happen. He's saying, I don't believe you, Gabriel. Folks as old as us don't become parents. It doesn't matter what pills you take. It doesn't matter what surgical procedure you have. It just doesn't happen. Impossible. That's the tone. That's a spirit. That's his perspective of his response. He didn't believe. Now, before we think that Zechariah is just some passive, uninformed victim that Gabriel throws his angelic weight around on just for kicks. Several things. First, it's not as if couples who are old, who are well advanced in years, and who are barren don't have babies. There's biblical precedence for that. Can anyone help me out here? What happens in Genesis to a couple who was old, who was barren, and who longed for a child, and that child was given a promise? Anyone? Abraham and Sarah. Yes, Zechariah, as a priest, knew about Abraham and Sarah, and he knew of the good outcome of Isaac, that this can indeed happen and has happened. Mary, not so much. No precedence for virgins having children in the Bible. Yes, old barren couples, and even where God works through in special miraculous ways for babies to be born. Samuel, Samson, many examples that Zechariah knew about. If God did it then, he can surely do it now, right? I'm a priest. I know these things. And finally, here's a scene in Luke 1. It's the most, not wonderful time of the year, it's the most holy time of the year where all of Israel comes to the temple. And it's different today, but the temple was where God's presence was. It's where God spoke. It's where people came to be with God's presence. Zechariah was chosen by Lot, and it was kind of like a performer, an entertainer, getting the halftime at the Super Bowl. It was a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So he's there in the temple. He's praying. God's presence is there. He's burning incense. It sort of ups the ante. It amps it up. And then, oh, by the way, an angel appears and tells him that this is going to happen. Friends, it's just not a normal day at the office. Okay, this is special. Something's going on here that Zechariah should have been clued into, but what was his response? How can I be sure? (laughs) Really? What more do you need, Zechariah? I mean, come on! All these things happening, and, and, and you ask, how can I be sure? Gabriel tells Zechariah, this is going to happen. He whiffs. He misses it. How can I be sure? What's, secondly, what's Mary's response? What about Mary? Gabriel to Mary, you're going to have a son. Call him Jesus. Kingdom will never end. Verses 26 through 33. What's her response? 
Look at verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? There are questions, and then there are questions. Mary's saying, how will this be since I've had no relations with another man? I don't understand how this will take place because it seems, it seems biologically impossible. But in a response, Mary assumes, and this is important, that she will conceive even though she doesn't understand how. You see, both Zechariah's response and Mary's response are biological in nature, but Mary's tone is, how are you going to do it? Not if. Mary doesn't demand to see. She just expresses her inability to see. And there's a difference in their questions. And Gabriel responds differently to Zechariah on one hand and Mary on the other. What does he do? He expels Zechariah's ability to see, and yet he explains to Mary what she doesn't see. How can I be sure? How will this be? See, here's a difference in their two responses, friends. Zechariah didn't believe it would take place and wanted evidence. Mary didn't understand how it would take place and wanted explanation. You see the difference? Zechariah proudly demands evidence. Mary humbly seeks explanation. Zechariah, on what basis... He doesn't believe until a sign is given. Mary, how? She believes before the sign is given. Zechariah, you've got to give me more before I believe, Gabriel. There's no way. Mary, do whatever you want. I'm yours, but could you just fill me in on how? The Bible certainly allows for doubt in our lives as we walk with Christ. Some of you have brought doubt through these very doors this morning of this sanctuary. But what we see here is what I'll call, if you will, bad doubt and good doubt. Good doubt is Mary's, is her wonder. How will this be? I don't understand. Bad doubt is Zechariah's declaration, this can't be. I don't believe. And there's a difference there. You see, there are questions, and then there are questions. And even when they're worded just a little differently, they can make a world of difference in how they're received. Mary's question is about God. Zechariah's question is about himself, wanting to be self-assured. Mary's question assumes God is, will do something good and great and seeks to know how it will unfold. Zechariah is not at all sure that God is good and great and demands a sign. 
seeks proof. Mary's question is grounded in God's very goodness. Zechariah's question is in a demand for a sign. God is pleased with the former, not so much with the latter. You can see that from the text. So what? Some of you are sitting here and saying, never had an angel come and appear to me and tell me something that's going to take place as promise. What am I to do with that on November the 29th, 2015? So what? What, what difference does it make in our lives? Well, let me, let me try to talk about that as we close. Some of us are here like Zechariah and have been praying and praying and praying and waiting and waiting and waiting on God for years, maybe decades. And like Zechariah and like Elizabeth, perhaps you found ways of dealing with your disappointment when these prayers aren't answered. Lowering your expectations. Doubting something that maybe there's a promise from Scripture about your life. Friends, we ask questions. Questions in and of themselves, they're not bad but they're not neutral, especially as there are questions about God. You see, there are questions, and then there are questions, and the Bible doesn't forbid us for asking questions. God isn't threatened by questions. But the question I would ask myself as well as you is, are our questions like Mary's from her perspective, from a a trusting faith at its foundation in who God is, but still does it understand with that foundation why terrible things happen in the world and in our lives? Is that the perspective that you're coming from when you ask questions? That's, that's good questions. Or are they like Zechariah's? Putting God on the stand to prove himself on human terms. Calling God into account, putting on the judge's robe and looking down at the accused and asking God to answer our questions and we interrogate God. Is that our stance? Is that how we're asking our questions? First, who are you this morning with your questions? And what perspective, what's your spirit, what's your, what's your heart, how's it asking them? I can't answer that, only, only you can. Second, note that prayers that have been stopped praying still get answered. And I don't think that Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer for a son, the text doesn't say this, so you got to be a little careful but I don't think it's a recent one based on verse 18. How when Gabriel says you're going to have a son, he says, no way. I tend to think that's not something that was a recent prayer. Or maybe he would have had a different response. Maybe it hasn't been prayed for decades. It's not like God didn't hear his prayers in their 20s and 30s when it'd be natural to have a child. It's not because they had sinned. Again, blameless, righteous. But here God had something better in mind. Down the line, they were to be the parents of John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. 
They couldn't see from their limited perspective God's plan. Friends, you may benefit today in this season from prayers that you offered long ago that you stopped praying even today. God's not limited by having some checker that says, okay, if you haven't been recent, then I'm not going to grant it. God's plan can't be derailed by our faithlessness and our unbelief. That's good news. Even in our doubt and unbelief, it's not the strength of our faith that saves, but it's the strength of the Savior. Our doubts don't derail God's plan. Verse 19 and 20, Gabriel says, despite your unbelief, the good news will be fulfilled. And that's good news for us. Finally, as we see questions from Zechariah and Mary here in this text, perhaps we need, we need to be asked a question. You see, all of our uncertainties about God, about God's love, are summed up in a, a single question. And it's the one Jesus asked as he hung on a cross. All that's wrapped up when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this question, all of our questions about God's goodness come together. Does God forsake us? Is he blind to our pain? Can he be trusted? Jesus asked that on our behalf. And when God hears this, he doesn't turn away and discuss. He absorbs that question in loving silence, the silence of forgiveness, the same forgiveness that's available to cover every question that we can or will ask, even those questions of unbelief, even those questions that demand a sign. You see, Jesus as a true person Someone like you and someone like me asks our question, can God be trusted? Is God great? Is God good? That's what he asks. And as a true God, as fully God, he answers our question, can you trust and love the God who would die for you? The answer is yes. And friends, a question for us that really matters is another question that Jesus asked us. That's simply this. Who do you say that I am? Because until you answer that question, all of our other questions don't make any sense and won't make any sense. Until you say, you are the Lord God, your kingdom will never end. You will take away the sins of your people. You are great. You are good. I trust you. Until we can say that, it's not going to make a lot of sense. My invitation for you this morning is for you to say yes to Christ, to receive him as Lord, as Savior. Let us pray. Lord, you are great. You are good. We thank you not only for food that we enjoyed this past week, but more importantly for the Savior that satisfies our longing like nothing else could, the living water that takes away our thirst eternally. 
As we bring to you our questions this morning, may you present to us the gloriousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And may we receive him and know that there's a plan that will be fulfilled because you have promised to do it through him. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Join us as we celebrate the birth of Christ Christmas Eve at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Service times are 2, 5, 7, and 11 p.m. More details at firstpresgreenville.org.